From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, emetropization, focusing on the periphery, part one. There's no doubt that the peripheral retina plays an important role when the fovea has been removed, showing that it has the potential to control eye growth. First this. As seen from here is committed to education free from commercial bias. Dr. Phillips holds an inventor's patent for the design of the lens described in this study. As seen from here reaches ophthalmologists in 98 countries, transfers more than half a terabit of podcasts every month, but the potential audience is much larger. Please tell your colleagues about this free resource, Flattening the Ophthalmic World. And while you're at it, let your residents and fellows know about Open Ophthalmology, a free basic science video podcast, already a force in ophthalmic education with 1,800 viewers watching 6,000 video lectures every month. Information wants to be free. Help me give it away. My surgical glove size is 7.5, and, and my PD is 58 millimeters. My retinologist friend has a PD of 56 millimeters, and I have a resident with a glove size of 8.5, and, and yet none of us could be described as having pathological PDs or glove sizes. But vary our axial lengths by as much as a millimeter or two, and we'd each be pathologically myopic or hyperopic. The emetropization process exerts such precise control over axial length that eyes grow to a tenth of a millimeter of what they need to be to see properly without spectacles. How this emetropization works and why it goes awry is the subject of much study. Animal work has suggested that image focus has something to do with it, and yet visual tasks don't seem to play an important role in human emetropization. Before my conversation with John Phillips, I didn't see a logical gap in that statement, but now I understand that image clarity and conversely image defocus can be made to occur in the periphery where he believes emetropization data is acquired. My interview with Dr. Phillips was lengthy and will be presented as two podcasts. We'll hear part one today. A number of factors have been demonstrated to correlate with myopia including uh, higher socioeconomic status and education of, of, of the parents, as, as well as, as obviously genes. Presumably, in the past, there were rich, educated parents with genetic composition that's similar to, to the population now. So why do you think rates of myopia have been going up? Well, I think that's it's, it's a very good question. Um, and to follow on with what you've been saying, I think uh, it's true that it has been myopia has been correlated with increasing education and higher socioeconomic status uh, of the parents, particularly. Uh, and I think even even if those were the only things that were determining um, myopia, um, a much higher proportion of society, including including in Asian societies, is actually middle class now. Uh, and richer than it was before, and the children are spending more time in in quite demanding uh, educational systems. So 
I think I think the situation has changed quite a lot. I don't think the genetics has changed that much. But just those two things have changed. But of course, there are an all, a large number of other things that have changed. And one of the major things is the increased urbanization of society generally, uh, again, particularly in Singapore and Hong Kong and Taiwan and places like, like that. Uh, and that, that tends to mean a greater time <clears throat> spent indoors. And in, um, in urban environments, often the, uh, the, it really is quite a near environment. People spend a lot of time in, in apartments, for example, with relatively small rooms, uh, low ceilings and things like that, so that their peripheral retina never gets exposed to distance um, uh, stimuli. Uh, there's also the other issue, of course, is that in a, in a near artificial environment, the light is often uh, artificial. Uh, and, of course, artificial light, unlike natural daylight, uh, has different wavelengths from natural light. There's much less UV, there's much less uh, infrared. And the time... Uh, in the circadian uh, rhythm or the circadian cycle at which you get exposed to the light is, is often dis, uh, different. It often isn't synced to the normal diurnal rhythm, uh, which, may, which, may, which may itself um, have an effect. And so there, I think there are lots of things that have actually changed. Um, and it's true that in the past there were uh, rich, educated parents of synergetic composition, but I think actually there are probably many more of those sorts of people nowadays. What interventions, both both optical and medical, have been tried in the past to influence the myopia progression in in children? Um, well, there are basically two, as you said, two types: optical and pharmaceutical. Um, the pharmaceutical uh, agent, atropine, is the most well known. Um, is one of a muscarinic acetylcholine receptor blockers. Um, Parenzepine is another. And atropine actually does seem to be particularly effective in um, blocking axial elongation of the eye, at least in the short term and while it's being administered. Um, but once it stops being administered, um, the effect goes away and it appears that the eye just uh, accelerates in its progression to be where it would have been if the atropine hadn't been um, administered. <coughs> Uh, one of the things that does need clarification, of course, is that um, atropine probably doesn't, or almost certainly doesn't, act um, by abolishing accommodation. It's not an accommodative, or, or its, its action in slowing myopia progression is probably nothing to do with its action on accommodation. It's uh, probably by some unknown action in the retina or the choroid or the sclera, and uh, animal studies have been um, very helpful in uncovering um, that aspect of the, action, of the action of atropine. So in terms of optical devices, well, there have been a number of um, attempts, spectacles, um, different sorts of spectacles have been, have been used, bifocal or progressive edition lens spectacles in particular. Um, they have a small beneficial effect. Uh, generally, in some people, they have um, quite, a, quite a, uh, a respectable effect on um, myopia progression, if given to the, if to the, to the right children. Uh, people have tried under-correction of myopia um, by a di diopter or so, uh, just straight under-correction binocularly. Um, there have been a couple of studies which have shown or, or, or which have concluded, actually, that uh, under-correction is not a good thing um, and that it actually uh, appears to accelerate myopia progression. I'm not sure that I really believe that. Um, I think it may be that they 
It just means that the children spend less time uh, out of doors. There are new spectacle types, radio refractive gradient lenses, um, Zeiss myovision lens, and um, alternating monovision spectacles is what, uh, what, we, what we've been trying. Uh, contact lenses, there have been bifocal contact lenses have been tried, uh, RGP contact lenses, but they tend to alter the um, corneal radius rather than um, affecting the actual length of the eye. Uh, overnight orthokeratology lenses, <clears throat> they seem to be um, perhaps one of the most promising um, optical interventions that appear to slow myopic progression, and then the new dual focus uh, lenses which we've been involved in, which um, seem to be as, as effective, about as effective as, as orthokeratology in slowing myopic progression as far as we can see. What, what animal studies exist that, that suggest that, that optical interventions can influence uh, the progression of amatropia? Well, in every vertebrate species that's being studied, uh, imposing um, optical defocus on the retina uh, in developing animals, for example, by raising monkeys, chicks, or even fish, uh, wearing a defocusing lens over one eye, causes that eye to develop an amatropia relative to the other eye. Um, and minus lenses worn over one eye cause the eye to grow longer. And so when the lens is uh, removed, the, uh, the eye is myopic because it's, because it's abnormally long. And, and plus lens wear, raising animals wearing a plus lens over one eye, appears to slow axial growth of the eye. And that results in, in hyperopia when the, when the lens is removed. <clears throat> um, the, the animal studies, however, are a bit limited because uh, when the lens is removed and there, uh, there is an anatropia present, either myopia or hyperopia, uh, as the animal continues to develop, it recovers from the imposed uh, amatropia, so that after a few weeks, in, in terms of the chick, um, there's no, it's not a permanent effect, the, 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 the eye recovers from the myopia. So what these studies show really is that there's an amatropizing mechanism uh, in young developing animals that removes, that compensates for imposed retinal defocus. It's a, it's a kind of natural feedback mechanism which optically guides the eye so that it to, to avoid uh, amatropia. Uh, and of course, young children, young human children, uh, display amatropization, uh, certainly display amatropization in the first couple of years of life. Uh, but that, that appears to break down in, in myopia, school myopia, or um, progressive myopia of any sort. Uh, and so it's a bit, it appears to be a breakdown of the amortizing mechanism. So what the, what the animal studies have shown us is that eye growth is guided at least during development um, by, by optical retinal defocus. Now, John, it's well and good to, to, to say that, that we can put a, a contact lens on one of these uh, chicks or, or, or cats or whatever it is that's, that's, that's being studied uh, and demonstrate that by changing the converging power of the front of the eye that, 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 that we produce a situation that results in an axial length that's either shorter or, or longer. But what's, what's actually going on here, John? I mean, what, I, I, what do you think from a mechanistic point, point of view uh, are, are the dots that connect that contact lens 
to what is subsequently a a longer or shorter eye. Right. Well, well, well I, I, um, I think in terms of the animal studies, we're not really addressing human myopia here. I don't. I think what we're addressing here is the emetrophizing mechanism. But uh, I think the animal models um, show that what the mechanism uh, is pretty unknown. Uh, I think the, me- the mechanism consists of at least three. Uh, three parts. One is that um, the optical defocus, the sign of the defocus, is detected by a retinal mechanism, which we probably don't know very much about at the moment. Uh, and but it's certainly within the eye, um, and that mechanism signals by an unknown mechanism again, by an unknown signal, uh, changes to occur in the choroid and the sclera, uh, either uh, thinning of the choroid or thickening of the choroid or sclera expansion or slowing in the, uh, in, the, in the growth of the sclera. I think we're beginning to understand what happens in the sclera. The sclera appears to become remodeled, that, that is in these animal studies. Um, and I think maybe uh, some signal may influence uh, contractile elements in the sclera, which are called myofibroblasts, which are, which are uh, fibroblasts that have a contractile uh, uh, potential, um, which may be involved in controlling the sclera expansion. So if it receives a signal that the eye is too short, uh, then what happens is that we possibly these myofibroblasts relax and allow the allow the sclera to remodel uh, gradually into a into a larger eye, if you like. Um, and if it receives a signal which indicates that the eye is too uh, long, then in fact they are influenced to be activated at any point, possibly uh, contract, so that while the uh, constant um, remodeling with fluid is going on, the eye actually doesn't expand. John, your paper deals with defocus um, of the peripheral retina as, as opposed to the the central retina. Well, I I I, I want to know what what these things mean, and I, you know I. I since the resolution of vision in the periphery is so much less than it is in central vision, in, in practical terms, what does what does deep focus mean? Do you follow what I'm saying? Um, yes, I do. Absolutely. Um, I, I, it, it's a controversial area. The importance of peripheral defocus. I, I might I might point out actually that the that the dual focus lens actually produces two focal planes over the entire retina, over the peripheral and the central retina. So the, the, the dual focus lens uh, that doesn't just um, produce alter the peripheral uh, defocus. Um, to answer your uh, question, it's very interesting that the, um, you're right, that the peripheral um, resolving power is much, much less, of course, than the foveal revol- resolving power. But actually, of course, um, I don't think this mechanism that we're talking about, this controlling eye growth, has really got much to do with the uh, retinal ganglion cells, which, of course, are the things that determine really the, 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 uh, the resolving power in the end, combined with the, with the um, uh, spacing of the photoreceptors. The photoreceptors, of course, are still, are still could, could resolve fine detail in the periphery because of their uh, close spacing. Um, so to, to link it to... Uh, visual acuity in a functional sense is, is probably misleading. Um, I think it, it, potentially the retina could detect 
um, fine changes in in defocus in the periphery. I think it's got the mechanism to do that uh, in terms of the photoreceptors and the other other cells. So, so this is a very open question. I think the the importance of of, of peripheral defocus. It's certainly the obviously the peripheral retina is a huge area compared with the uh, fovea, and of course. Uh, other researchers have shown that even if you remove, uh, the, you ablate the fovea in an experimental animal, the eye will still control its its size. So the uh, so it will still will still emetrophize. And so the there's no doubt that the peripheral retina plays an important role when the fovea has been removed, showing that it has the potential to control eye growth. But whether uh, when both are combined, which is the most important, I, I think is still an open question. John, what questions did your study seek to answer? And also, can I get you to talk a little bit about the particular contact lens that was used in the study, since it's one that, that I that I don't know? Okay. Um, well, perhaps I'll talk about a little bit about the actual uh, contact lens itself then. Uh, um, you know, what is a dual-focus contact lens? Um, and, of course, uh, is it similar to a, to a commercially available multifocal contact lens that are, that are prescribed for presbyopia? Well, if you looked at it, if you looked at the components of it, it, it is quite similar. It's a similar to a concentric uh, center-distance bifocal contact lens, but there are some critical differences. And the major difference is that the central uh, distance uh, correction zone of a dual-focus lens is much larger than a conventional bifocal central zone uh, because... Uh, Unlike in a bifocal uh, contact lens, uh, in a dual focus lens, the same central zone is used for distance and near viewing. Um, and it's very important in the use and on the way that the dual focus lens works is that the children who are wearing it accommodate as normal when using the, the lens. So they, they accommodate as normal and they look through the central part of what in the bifocal lens would be the center distance portion. Um, and because they accommodate, of course, they continue looking uh, at near objects through the central portion. Uh, but if you imagine what's happening, if, for example, if you take a bifocal lens and imagine what's happening when the, when the, when the presbyope is looking at distance through the bifocal lens, then rays of light that are passing through the what well, in a bifocal lens would be the ad are actually brought to focus in front of the retina when the, when the presbyope is looking at distance and in a uh, dual focus lens, that's also what happens. Uh, the peripheral tre treatment zones, which have less negative power than the correction zone, uh, cause the um, light from the peripheral retina, to, from the peripheral pupil, to form uh, an image, uh, a myopically defocused image, in other words, a, a secondary image anterior to the retina, uh, whereas the central um, portion of the central zone is, is, is giving clear vision with, a, with an image on the retina. And the same is also true when the child accommodates uh, for, for viewing it near. The, the treatment zone, what would in the um, bifocal lens be the ad, the treatment zone is still uh, creating a, an optically defocused and myopically defocused image anterior to the retina, which, which I believe is the thing that is um, causing the the um, beneficial effect for for slowing myopia progression. Just to be clear, John, it, it, it's it's not that you're saying that somehow the 
the peripheral treatment zone of the contact lens is being preferentially focused on the peripheral retina. No, I don't think it is being preferentially focused on the peripheral retina. The, the, the peripheral um, treatment zone uh, is within the confines of the pupil, and so that means that it will be creating uh, an image plane over the entire retina, including the fovea. So, so there, is, uh, there is a defocus, actually, in the fovea as well as in the periphery. That actually is, is, is one of the... Well, it's one of the characteristics of the lens. Sure. Now, uh, go on. Sorry. So, what, what you were you were going to talk about? What 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 question your study sought to answer? Oh, okay. Well, well, well. Exactly. So the question. So we conducted that. We, we we designed this lens with this idea that we had a we had done a, prefer, a, a previous study in which we'd shown that if you undercorrect one eye um, of 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 children wearing spectacles, if, in other words, if you just reduce the uh, correction um, in, so you undercorrect one eye but maintain the full correction in the other other eye, rather like a monovision type of um, prescription, uh, except in a spectacle form, uh, we, just, we, we we found that the eye that was undercorrected actually progressed at a significantly slower rate than the eye that was fully corrected. But of course, uh, its acuity was was reduced because of its undercorrection. And so the question was, how could we possibly get this um, beneficial effect of uh, myopic defocus combined with the ability to see clearly? And uh, one way of doing that, of course, is to is to use a lens which has uh, two focal planes, which produces two focal planes, and see whether the simultaneous presentation of a clear retinal image um, superimpo- superimposed upon a myopically defocus image, or the other way around, um, would both allow clear vision and also slow myopic regression. So that was the question we, we, we were really asking. Um, whether presenting a myopically defocused image on the retina simultaneously with a clear retinal image using the dual focus contact lens would give clear vision and also slow myopic regression. That was, that was our question. We'll end today's podcast here We'll pick up where we left off next time. John Phillips comes to us from the Department of Optometry and Vision Science at the University of Auckland in Auckland, New Zealand. His paper, Effect of Dual-Focus Soft-Contact Lenswear on Axial Myopia Progression in Children, appears in the June 2011 issue of Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Phillips or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at jmd at gmail.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.